Well, now that you've all kind of quieted down, I'm going to have everyone stand up again. Laura kind of did this when we first got started, but it was a really kind of a wimpy response, okay? And so we do this every year. I'm going to say, He is risen, and you guys will say, He is That's okay. You've got to try it a little, a little bit better than that. We want to make sure the neighbors are here, so let's try it again. He is risen. One more time. He is risen. He is risen That's news worth shouting about. Amen. Now you can sit down. Now you can have a seat. <laughs> well, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. I want to look at the first six verses there in Matthew chapter 28. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 6 this morning. I do have the air on, and so if you're warm, it's, it, we're trying to cool it off in here. And But we did open the shades this morning to kind of feel like a resurrection sunrise thing. But um, anyways, hopefully we'll cool off a little bit. Maybe I'm the only one that's hot. Maybe you guys are comfortable. I don't know. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 6, we read this. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there is a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and he became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. The title of my message this morning is, Do You Believe? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this Resurrection Sunday to rejoice and, and to praise what the work that was done upon the cross and out of that tomb. Lord, that we can rejoice in your Son, Jesus Christ, rising again from the dead and giving us life. And Lord, we do pray if there's anyone here that is yet to find salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would show them that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to you. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray your blessing upon our time together. Give us understanding and application. Lord, we also thank you for the kids downstairs as they're learning what it means uh, for your son rising from the dead as well as we learn from up here. So bless our time, we pray. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was going through my studies, trying to see what I've taught on Easter, you know, years back and so forth, and I came across a conversation, and I shared this, when Greg and Valerie's little girl, Charlotte, was about four years old, and I think uh, Theo, uh, Jacob Potter's son, was about the same age, but the same age, and they had a conversation going on. you got to remember, Jacob is our sound guy, he's an avid hunter, and the conversation went like this, Charlotte said to Theo, I just went on an Easter egg hunt. And without missing a beat, Theo said, did you bring your gun? (laughs) All Theo needed to hear was the word hunt. 
I mean, I got to bring my gun. I thought, man, if he saw the Easter Bunny at the mall, I mean, watch out. Dad, look at the size of that rabbit. I can't help, you know, it is Easter and, and it's a, sometimes, you know, there's a little, little bunny joke. So I can't help it. I, I got to give a few bunny jokes before we get to the text. What are 400 rabbits hopping backwards? A receding hairline. Yeah. <laughs> what do you get when you cross a frog with a rabbit? A bunny ribbit. I like that one. Where does the Easter Bunny like to eat breakfast? IHOP. You had to know that one. Okay. <laughs> That's what they like to eat for breakfast. You know, I'm afraid at Easter time, we get so accustomed to all the traditions and all the decorations and even hearing about the resurrection, it doesn't really penetrate or sink in and, and grip our hearts. For many, you know, Easter is a time to, to dress up and go to church and go home and have the pretty decorated baskets and, and they paint the eggs quite beautiful and maybe they give cards and there's the Easter bunnies and maybe they hunt for eggs in the yard and, and to them that's Easter. But in reality, we need to look beyond those things and see that Easter is a celebration of life we have in Jesus Christ and the reality that Jesus Christ is indeed alive. The message of Easter is that we have eternal life, that we have eternal hope, that we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the question, do you believe this? Why did he ask if you believe this? Because if you believe that Christ died for your sins and rose again from the grave, then you don't have to fear death. And you can know for certain as a Christian, there is life beyond the grave. You will rise again. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life this Easter that perhaps brought you here uh, this morning. Maybe you're full of faith and excited to celebrate what Jesus did for you and you're, you're looking forward to the future with great excitement and anticipation for what the Lord has planned in the future. Maybe you've come here this morning because a friend dragged you here. You know, I don't really want to be here, but all right, I'll go. And you promised me breakfast afterwards. And maybe there's some anxiety and fear of the future and what it may bring. Let me tell you, wherever you're at this morning, God has brought you here for a reason, for a purpose, in order to speak to your heart the Easter message. The angel said in verse 5, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He's risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. That's why we've gathered today. That's why churches all over the country, all over the world, gather today. Something radical, something monumental has happened, just as the Lord said it would. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And those are our three points that I want to make this Resurrection Sunday. Number one, Christ has died. Number two, Christ has risen. And number three, Christ will come again. Look now at verse 1 of Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now the disciples didn't expect Jesus to rise from the dead. The two Marys, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, who were coming to anoint the body of Jesus, didn't expect that Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 2 goes on, look at verse 2, And behold, there's a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. 
His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. I, I love that. The angel of the Lord comes down, moves a stone away, sits on the stone. And I picture him going, hey, boy, what's up? And this light, you know, bright as lightning, white. I mean, just, just, just you know, a snow. And, and, and it says that they, they became like dead men. They passed out. I mean, they're laying there on the ground. Now, understand the stone was rolled away not to get Jesus out, but for those to come in to see. For when Mary shows up, verse 5 says, But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Not what he says. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He was crucified. Christ had died. Why? Well, before there can be a resurrection, there has to be a death first. There's a story found from Alexander M. Sanders, Jr., who was at one time the chief judge of the South Carolina Court of Appeals. And he tells a story about Zoe, his three-year-old little girl, and at the time he came home to find her in a crisis. Zoe's pet turtle had died, and she's crying her heart out, and his wife turned the problem over to him to solve. And first, Mr. Sanders explained that he would go to the pet store and get her another turtle. Got nowhere with that idea. Zoe knew that life could be transferred from one turtle to another. She wanted her turtle alive. She continued to cry. Then Mr. Sanders says, I'll tell you what. We'll have a funeral for your turtle. Well, being three years old, she didn't know what a funeral was. A funeral, he said, is a great festival in honor of the turtle. Well, she didn't know what a festival was. So he said, well, a funeral is like a birthday party. We'll have ice cream and cake and lemonade and balloons and all the children in the neighborhood will come over to play, all because the turtle has died. Well, Zoe's tears began to dry up and she returned to her happy self Then, an utterly unforeseen thing happened. They looked down and the turtle began to move. He was not dead after all. In a matter of seconds, he was crawling around as lively as ever. Mr. Sanders didn't know what to say. But Zoe appraised the situation perfectly. With all the innocence of her three-year-old, she looked up at her father and said, Daddy, let's kill it. (laughs) And she wanted that party and that cake and her friends to come over. Listen, for someone to be raised from the dead, they have to be dead first. A resurrection presupposes a death. So we have to establish the fact that Jesus died physically. Even though he was God, he was in a physical body and he died. Now I say that because there are those who say, well, Jesus didn't really die, but that he only, he swooned. He kind of passed out. They call it the swoon theory. That Jesus, because of the loss of blood and the exposure of the elements, and because he'd been awake for a whole night and day, and he'd been hanging on the cross, that Jesus kind of swooned, and he passed out, and they took his body down off the cross and put him in the grave. Now you have to remember that they also prepared his body with 100 pounds of ointment and grave cloth. Then they took the strips of the cloth and wrapped him from head to toe like a mummy. They laid him in the, in the cave, and, and in this cave, and then they took a two-ton stone and rolled it in front of the grave. Then when they went to Pilate and requested Roman soldiers to come and stand guard so the disciples wouldn't steal the body and they would end up with more problems than when they started. So my question is, then, if Jesus just swooned, how did he get out of the tomb? How did he get out of the grave clothes, the wrappings from head to toe, And how in his weakened state does he manage to roll away a two-ton stone, overtake the Roman soldiers with spears and swords, 
all armed to the teeth. And then, how by any means did he show up in the homes of, the, of his disciples and convince them that it was truly raised from the dead? It's illogical. And, and not only that, then he convinced the disciples to, to the point where they would be willing to give their lives to die for what they believe. It's simply not logical to say that Jesus just swooned. No, Jesus was crucified. Jesus did die. And before we get to point two, I want to point out why Christ died. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did not die for his own sin. Christ was and is sinless. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul tells us this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. See, Jesus' death on the cross reveals to us the horror of our sin. And the horror of what sin brings. It brings death. It brings destruction. Because of our sin, we deserve to be on that cross. We deserve to take that punishment for our sins because the Bible teaches the soul that sins shall surely die. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Because we've all sinned, we've earned the wages. We've earned the wages of death that sin brings. Sin brings death. And today, sadly, in many homes, many families, many lives are ripped apart and devastated because of sin. They're destroyed. But it doesn't have to be that way. If they would just turn to Christ in repentance and receive the forgiveness that God offers today. But you see, that's why Christ died for my sin, for your sin. Yeah, the verse says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Christ died. There's no question about it. And if the crucifixion hadn't killed them, certainly the spear from the Roman soldier in his side would have killed them. But here's the amazing thing. If the Marys who were at the tomb that morning, or the disciples for that matter, who came later, if they would have just thought back to the words of Jesus, they would have remembered what he said, that this would happen, Mark 9.31. He taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. After he is killed, he will rise the third day. They should have expected that Jesus would rise. That brings us to point number two. Number one, Christ has died. Number two, Christ has risen. Look at verse five again. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Christ is risen. Now, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, then we would still be dead in our sins, and that gift of eternal life would not be available to us. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus rose from the dead. It's one of the foundational facts that holds a fiber of our faith together. Now, here's one of the saddest truths that I find today in our culture. There are actually some churches that do not believe in a literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine gathering for an Easter service without believing in the resurrection? Why? What's the point? Do you know there are people who, who claim to be Christians who don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And you say, well, what do they believe in? Well, some believe. They believe, well, Jesus has risen in spirit. That's what they say. Well, he's risen in spirit. What does that even mean? You know? It's like, well, my grandmother, she's sort of looking down from heaven, smiling. And that's what people think. You know, that, you know, that, that Jesus is up there hopefully looking down. Listen, if that's all there is, then what's the point? What are we doing here? That's ridiculous. He's risen in spirit. Don't be dumb. Okay. <laughs> you're going 
quote that. Pastor said, don't be done. <laughs> Other churches will say, well, he's risen in our hearts. Like he's some concept, you know, just an idea. The, the Christ idea is alive in our hearts. Stop it. That's even more ridiculous. And still others will say, well, Jesus is risen in the sense of his teachings live on. Sort of like God. He's risen because we, real read, we still read his stuff. We, we, we still read the book. So we can read Dr. Seuss, too. I mean, what a joke. Jesus is not some, some creed or some concept. He's a real person who's alive today and alive forevermore. Another false idea that people say concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that the people at the time, uh, when they say they saw Jesus, well, they were just hallucinating. You know, they were having a hallucination of Jesus. And that would be kind of difficult to explain because the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that over 500 people saw Jesus at one time that, that rose from the dead. So 500 people hallucinated. I don't think so. Listen to what uh, the evidence of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's another name for Peter, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. The, the word fallen asleep means death. Paul is saying that, when Jesus rose from the dead, he was not only seen by Peter and the apostles, but over 500 people saw him, and that many of them, they're still alive. Yeah, some of them died, but, but many of them are still alive at the time he wrote that. In other words, irrefutable proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You've got to understand something. The reason we make such a big deal out of Easter is because this is a pivotal point. This is non-negotiable. We might agree to disagree about a lot of other things, but this is not one of them. If Christ is not alive from the dead personally, literally, then that makes him a liar because he said he would die and he would rise from the dead. And if he did not rise physically and personally, then he's not to be trusted. Belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus is not merely foundational. According to Scripture, it is essential. As Paul would argue in Romans 10.9, the gospel come down, comes down to this. If you confess with your mouth that, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, beyond this, Paul's logic in 1 Corinthians 15 demonstrates the reverse. If Christ is not raised, then we are still dead in our trespasses and sin. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead bodily, personally, then there's no resurrection, there's no forgiveness of our sin, there's no salvation, and there's no hope. But the reason we're here is because we have hope. And there's hope because Jesus gave it to us when he rose on the third day. And the fact that he is no longer in that tomb is convincing enough proof that we have a living Savior. The angel said, come see the place where the Lord lay. You know, in other words, look, here's proof. He's no longer there. If you go to a mausoleum in Moscow, Red Square, they, there lies the embalmed remains of Lenin. On the casket are these words. He was the greatest leader of all people of all time. He was the Lord of the new humanity. He was the Savior of the world. Guess what? He's still there. Go to the grave of Muhammad. He's still there. Go to the grave of Buddha. He's still there. Go to the grave of Confucius. He's still there. Go to the grave of Jesus. He's not there. He's risen. Why? Because Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
And because Christ is risen, that means that there is a God that can be trusted. And it's the God of the Bible, the one and only true God that can raise someone from the dead. And that means because Jesus rose from the dead, so will we. So will I if you're a believer. If you're a believer, you don't need to fear death. 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 20 tells us, but the fact is that Christ has been raised from the dead. He's been, become the first of a great harvest of those who will be raised to life again. Jesus has gone to the other side and he has returned and he has the keys to death and hell according to Revelation 1.18. And that those that know him will one day spend eternity with him in new bodies designed especially for heaven. They will not see corruption. You know, the older we get, the hardest to accept the fact that our bodies are just wearing out. In my mind, I still think I could do the things when I was 20 years old. And then I pay the price for it. I get up the next morning and go, oh, I should not have done that. Walk from the garage to the mailbox. I shouldn't do that. It was, just, it was too tough. And hard. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like that. What did I do yesterday? I didn't do anything. You just get old, you know. God promises this new bodies. And mine, man, I'm not going to have the shiny spot on the back of my head anymore. I'm going to have muscles. It's my new body. What do you guys think? I'm going to like that. New bodies. Paul tells us in Romans 8.23, New Living Translation, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We, too, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. I can't wait for that new body. You know, this is not the real me. The real me is my soul, my spirit. The body will die. One day my soul will live on. One day you may hear, hey, Pastor Tommy, he died. Don't believe a word of it, okay? Because at the moment you hear that I have died, I'll be more alive than ever before in the presence of God. And the same thing can be true for every believer here this morning. And there's the message of Jesus. You're going to see your loved ones again. If they were believers, you'll be with them for eternity. Not only will they be a part of your past, but they'll be a part of your future if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because again, he's the resurrection and the life. And if we believe in him, though we are dead yet, shall we live. So this brings us to our third and, and final point. Number one, Christ has died. Number two, Christ has risen. Number three, Christ will come again. Look at verses five and six one more time. I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Again, Jesus said he would die. Jesus said he would rise again. But Jesus also said he would come back again. You know that some of the greatest songs and hymns that the church has been singing for, for thousands of years focus on the second coming of Christ. Charles Wesley, he was a great hymn writer in his lifetime. Guess how many songs he wrote? One man wrote 7,000 songs. My fingers are tired just thinking about that, you know, writing 7,000 anything. 7,000 songs. Out of the 7,000 songs he wrote, 5,000 have been estimated that speak of the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, also at Christmas time, when you sing Joy to the World, that song has nothing to do with Christmas. Isaac Watts originally wrote Joy to the World, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. He wrote that about the second coming, not the first coming. Or Julia Ward Howe, in the anguish of the Civil War, as the North and the South were battling it out, 
She looked past all of that heartache to the second coming of Christ as she gave us what is known as the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And the language sounds like it comes right out of Revelation 19. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. So many great songs, both in our nation and in our faith, that deal with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus put it this way in John 14, 1-3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go and I prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So if Jesus said he would die, if Jesus said he would rise again, then we need to believe that when Jesus said he will come again, he will come again. Now when Jesus left this earth, do you remember how he left? How did he leave? You know, when he went to heaven, he ascended, right? Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. The disciples, they're there on the, on the Mount of Olives, and they're talking with Jesus, and, and, and the Bible just said, well, he ascended into heaven. He just starts to go up and into the air, and, and the disciples are all staring at him, and they're all looking up, and their mouths are probably open, you know, and, and, and just saying, oh, wow. You know, just all looking up and checking out, and just staring into the sky. And some uh, angel shows up and says, you men of Galilee, why are you guys staring up into heaven? For the same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will so come again in like manner as you have seen him go up into heaven. So as Jesus went, he will return. How did Jesus go to heaven? Physically, visibly, and from the Mount of Olives. How will Jesus return? Physically, visibly, and to the Mount of Olives. Now let me make this clear. There are two phases to Jesus' coming back. First, when Jesus will come back in the air. At that point, his feet will not touch the earth, but the Bible teaches he will come back in the air to remove the Christians from the earth is what we call the rapture of the church. It's then that Jesus will take all the believers into heaven for a period of time, seven years to be exact. And during those seven years, all hell is going to break loose on the earth. It's what's called the Great Tribulation Period. After the Great Tribulation Period, Mark chapter 13, verse 24 through 26 says this, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, And the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. The end of that period, Christ will come back again, all the way back to the earth this time, bringing all of his saints with him, all the believers throughout history with him. And he will stand on the Mount of Olives. And Zechariah 14, 4 says this. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. That's his return. That's his touchdown. That's his landing there on the Mount of Olives. By the way, there's a fault line in Jerusalem, seismologists tell us, that runs right through the Mount of Olives. There's actually been earthquakes in the past that have toppled buildings in that area. Uh, In Tel Aviv, they're, they're saying they're waiting for the big one yet to happen. The big one's going to come. It's going to be a really big one. When the righteous one comes and his foot touches on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives will split in two. And when that happens, everyone will see it. Universally, everyone will see it. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 27, For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Revelation 1, verse 7, Behold, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye shall see him. At that point, Jesus will usher in the millennial reign of Christ or a thousand-year time period where Christ will rule and reign upon the earth. 
But the next event right now that we're waiting for is that rapture of the church. Paul talked about this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, where he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. For those of you that have been coming to the church for quite some time, you know that I always say it could be today. It could be right now. Right now. Right now. Lord, now would be great. Wouldn't it be great on Easter to be resurrected, to be raptured out of here? That would be, be awesome. See, Jesus said there would be certain signs that would mark that his return was near. And folks, I believe that we're living in those days that, that we're seeing these signs about to be fulfilled like never before. Now, if you're traveling from Springfield to St. Louis, there's, there's one sign, I think it's around in Stratford, that says St. Louis, 209 miles. But then you don't see another sign for St. Louis until you maybe get to Lebanon and then, and, and then it shows it goes so many miles. And then Rolla, St. Louis, so many miles. And St. James, so many miles. And then Sullivan, Missouri, so many miles. But it's not until you really get closer to, to, to St. Louis that you start seeing more and more signs. You know, St. Louis, next five exits or this. And, and like every five miles you see sign after sign. I would say that we are the same place right now before the Lord returns. We're seeing these signs every five miles now. Jesus is coming. Jesus, oh, look at this. Jesus is coming. When Jesus, his disciples asked him in Matthew 24, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? He says, I'm not going to tell you. It's a secret. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) He answered them. It wasn't a secret. He wanted them to know he would return as much as you wanted them to know that he would die and he would rise again. Matthew 24, verses 4 through 8, we read that Jesus answered them and said this, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of rumors, wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, because we like to take the Bible literally, including future unfulfilled prophecy, we ought to be able to identify trends and events in the news that corroborate, you know, century-old prophecies. Pick any topic, any subject for the last days, and know we are close. The signs are there. If the topic is wars and rumors of wars, man, because of the instant coverage on TV, man, we can see that all the time. More people have been killed in warfare in the last 100 years than any other time in history. If the topic is weaponry, the Bible describes man-made destruction on a global scale. In the 1940s, it became reality. Nuclear, chemical, biological weapons of mass destruction have now allowed us for the first time in human history to completely destroy ourselves. I mean, the weapon power alone of the United States of America is the greatest in the entire world. It'll blow your mind. Let's talk about geography. The Bible tells us in the last days that the nation of Israel would be regathered together in their land. Mark chapter 13, verse 28 and 29 says, Learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. As seen in the books of Jeremiah, Nahum, Isaiah, Hosea, the fig tree is a national symbol of Israel. Therefore, my strong conviction is that Jesus is talking about the reblossoming, the rebirth of the nation of Israel. We know that that took place May 14, 1948. 
The Jews returned to their land. The only time in history when a nation came back from the dead, exactly as prophesied by Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. And Jesus says, when you see these things begin to happen, know that His coming is near, even at the door. One last sign the Bible gives us to mark the fact that Jesus is coming soon. And that is the way that people will be when it comes to God's Word. When it comes to uh, you know, the Bible. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says this. It says this. It says this. Hold on a second. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Are we not seeing that in our generation today? Sound doctrine, Bible teaching, isn't what most people want when they come to church anymore. They want that feel-good message. Make me feel good about myself. They don't want, you know, sound doctrine. They want that secret sensitivity and acceptance of all, all lifestyle choices. They want edification without rebuke. They want fellowship without the accountability. They want to be told what they want to hear, all the sweet stuff, but nothing about sin, nothing about repentance or holiness. And when you do contend, contend for the faith, when you say, unless you repent of your sin and turn to Jesus, the Bible says you will spend eternity in hell, separated from God forever without any hope. And their response, hey dude, don't judge me. I don't know if they say dude, but judge not lest you be judged. You know, it's so heavy. I don't like to talk about negative things. Listen, it's not a popular message today, but that's exactly what needs to be preached. Repentance and turning from your sin and turning to God because you are running out of time. The history of this world is about to come to a close. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is returning very soon. Finally, I want to close with this. Verse 6, the angel of the Lord says, He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. In other words, come a little closer. Come a little deeper. Come closer. Sometimes as Christians... We see things going on that God is doing, and we can be blown away by them. Wow, God, you were so awesome. What a cool miracle that was. And God touches our lives in a special way, and you go, well, well, that was so cool. That was so amazing. And the Lord says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Just draw close to me because I have so much more I want to show you. But then we kind of go, oh, I don't know, Lord. I'm so busy over here and I'm busy over there. But, but thanks for getting me out of this situation. Thanks for moving in this way. But, but I don't know, Lord. So take a step closer in your relationship with me. I have so much more I want to show you. Listen, in the same way, just like the woman at the tomb, as they entered the tomb, they saw this amazing sight. Jesus had risen. And the Lord says to you this morning, hey, you think this is good? Come a little closer. Get into my word. Commit your whole life to me and I will show you great and mighty things that you can't even imagine. But many times you say, oh, I don't know, I don't know. No, come inside the tomb and come and see where he lay. Keep moving ahead. I think for us as Christians, here's another danger. We kind of get into a place or, or a plateau in our spiritual walk. We got to think, okay, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm not struggling here. I'm not really growing there. I just, just wait, man. It's just kind of balancing there. And, and uh, we don't like hearing, well, you need to make a deeper commitment. 
So, well, come on, Pastor. I'm here on Easter. You saw me at Christmas. Get off my back, preacher boy. You know, what one more do you want? They say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I just don't need to go to church. I'll just listen to podcasts or something. No, you're missing out. You're missing out on so much more than what God wants to do in your life. I mean, God wants to do so much more in your life, and He wants to reveal so much more of His love and goodness and His grace and Himself to you. But it's all found in His Word and spending time in His Word and spending time in fellowship with one another and in church sharing with one another. I mean, just think if Mary and the lady said, oh, you know, this is far enough. I don't think we're going to go in. We're good. They would have missed out on the blessing of knowing and seeing that Jesus rose from the dead. But they didn't. They listened and they went in a little further. Maybe, maybe this morning God is asking some of you believers, hey, it's time for you to move a little bit further in your relationship with me. It's time to, to turn from the stuff you're doing. It's time to move ahead. And maybe you, you kind of thought about the things God has perhaps showed you maybe a year ago. God showed that to you. And you haven't really moved much further than that. Listen, he's still there. And he still wants you to move further in your relationship with him. Listen, as we close, remember these three things. Number one, Christ died for our sins. According to Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Number two, Christ is risen. In Romans 8.11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And finally, number three, Christ will come again. Revelation twenty two twelve, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. The question that needs to be asked this Easter 2019 is, Are you ready? Are you ready to quit living for today and start living for eternity? Are you ready to turn from your sin today and turn to Jesus Christ? Are you ready to get your, your life where God would have you to be before he returns? Listen, folks, the day is coming when the Bible says that the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up into the air to meet the Lord and so will we ever be with the Lord. And he says, comfort one another with these words. If those words don't bring you comfort, then you need to get yourself right with the Lord. You need to make sure that you're ready for his return. There is going to be a bodily resurrection. God promised that. The question is, are you ready? If not, I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us by sending your son to die for us upon the cross. We thank you, Lord, that your word says whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Lord, I pray right now if there's anyone here that that has not put their faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, maybe they've gone to church their whole life, maybe they, they, they know about Jesus, but maybe they've not surrendered their heart and life completely to you, Lord. Father, I pray that you would touch their heart this morning. And they would see their need for you and they would turn to you and become born again today. Well, I heard about her heads are bowed and her eyes are closed. Is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to be born again today? You want your sin forgiven? You want to know if you were to die, you would go to heaven and spend eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus. If that's your desire, just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. Anybody at all? This is just between you and the Lord. God loves you so much. 
gave his son to die for you and rise again from the grave. And he's coming back very soon. So if you've kind of been wishy-washy, you think, oh, I, I, maybe when I get older, I give my life to the Lord. No, now is the day of salvation. Today is the time. If that's your desire, just raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Is there anybody here that, that uh, you want to give your life, do you want to rededicate your life to the Lord Jesus? If that's your desire, raise your hand. I'll pray for you this morning. Anybody at all? Father, we thank you for your great grace in our lives. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts. And Lord, we do wait with great anticipation for that time when the trumpet will sound and we'll be taken home to be with you for eternity. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. Even so, come quickly, we say, Lord Jesus. And Father, we do pray that you'd help us to redeem the time, Lord, recognizing the signs are there. We are close. Help us, Lord, to be used by you in every opportunity that you give us, to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit leading and to be sharing our faith. And finally, Lord, help us to be men and women of your word clinging to you, Lord, relying on you, Lord, hearing from you each and every day as we spend time in your word and in your presence. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for these precious people that have come out. Lord, I pray your blessing upon them today, their children as they just celebrate what you've done for us. Bless them, I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.